The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Father, we, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you breathe upon everyone in this place, Lord. Change our lives, my Father. Let your name be glorified in every life present. All our glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we are afraid. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Today we're in part seven of our series, Me or Jesus. This is the penultimate part, and we are landing the plane next week by the grace of God. Praise the name of the Lord. Today we are looking at the eighth and the ninth struggle, which is um, from the eighth and the ninth commandment. And we, we said that me or Jesus is one question every Christian we have to wrestle with. We have to wrestle with. And we explained that the Ten Commandments, being a love letter from God to humanity, actually enumerates this question, me or Jesus. The Ten Commandments has the ten deepest struggle of mankind. And we looked at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven last week. Looked at seven. And today we are looking at eight and nine. Struggle number eight is our struggle with integrity. Exodus 20, 15, Exodus 20, 15 says, you must not steal. And if you have the KJV version of the Bible, you will see something like, thou shalt not steal. You must not steal. The root problem of stealing, the root cause of stealing rather, it, it, it is the desire to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. Stealing is birthed from the desire to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. If you look at our homes, in families, there's a lot of stealing going on. We have people that want to give as little as possible while they get as much as possible. In marriages, a lot of stealing is going on. In, in businesses, a lot of stealing going on. Fortunately, in churches, a lot of stealing going on. In communities, a lot of stealing going on. When you have anyone that wants to take more and give as little as possible, such a person will eventually steal. And when you look at your relationships, you know, you have to ensure that you are a giver. You are a giver in your relationships. You are a giver. Ask the people around you, am I a taker or am I a giver? Ask them. They will tell you. Whichever way, don't be upset. The struggle to take as much as possible while giving as little as possible is addressed in the Eighth Commandment and is a struggle with me or Jesus. Will I be selfish or will I be selfless? Will I be selfish or will I be selfless? 
And God is saying to you and I, you must not steal. It is stealing when an employee that has a resumption time comes late to work. What is that? It's stealing. I know many of us wouldn't sit like that, but it is. If you have a closing time and you close earlier than you should close, there's only one word for it. It's called what? Stealing. It's called stealing. When you take your lunch break and let's say you have a one-hour lunch break and you extend it to two hours, there's only one word for it. It's called what? Don't be just going to say it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pastor, I'm not, I'm not saying this. You're not going to get me to say it. You're not going to get me to say it. When you're married and you um, deprive your spouse of intimacy, there's only one word for it. It's called what? Can you see that less and less of people are saying this thing? There's only one word for it. It is called stealing. Stealing. You know, I, I know, I mean, uh, single people don't understand it. They're like, really? They do that? Those married people? It's called stealing. In fact, the Bible says don't defraud yourself. It's called, in fact, the word defraud means arm, don't be, it's like the word same used for arm robbers. Or a scam. Praise the name of the Lord. When you take the time you should use to work and you use it to read your Bible, there's only one word for it and it's not Bible study. The word is called what? Stealing. Stealing, yes. You're stealing your employer's time. That's what it is. The time you should spend working, you use it for evangelism. There's only one word for it, and it is called, it's called stealing. It's called stealing. So you see the issue of, of don't steal. I mean, we, we all need help, don't we? We do. We do. If you look at your business person, you own your organization, you have, you're an employer of labor, there are people that you are paying their salary, but you don't pay their salary when it is due. You hold on to your, their salary till the 15th, the middle of the month. There's only one word for it. It is called what? Stealing. You say, but pastor, I still paid the salary, but you paid 15 days later. But I still paid, but you paid 15 days later. What happened to the time value of money between the first and the and 16? It's called stealing. I mean, and the Bible, I mean, speaks very strongly against it. And if you look at even how we do life, you find out that you need God to really help you to be above board in this area. Many times, I mean, I'm a software person. It is so easy to copy software and you install the fake word processor or the stolen pirated Excel sheet. You install the, 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 the stolen or pirated. You, you don't want to say stolen, it's pirated. Um, 
operating system, you, you install the stolen pirated um, PowerPoint presentation software. You, everything in that laptop is stolen. And you are in church today and God is saying, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. The movie you watched yesterday night, you copied it. You stole it. Pirated it. Now, I know you're looking at me like, oh, is this guy for real? Is this thing is unpractical? Everybody does it. You know? Listen, that is why the road is called the straight and and only if you find it, and you will find that road, say amen. Come on. Yeah, because, look, why are, are music, um, movie producers almost bankrupt in this nation? Musicians don't make money. Why? Because people are stealing their work. And a lot of these people are Christians. In fact, the music, they're listening to it on the way to church. It's called stealing. Now, I know, listen, I know how tough it is. You can say that, oh, because, oh, I don't have money to buy them. You know, someone said, oh, Pastor Bill Gates doesn't need the money. He has too much money already anyway. And he's giving them away so I can as well take my share. You know, <laughs> it is stealing. And the fact that you don't have money is not an excuse. Again, I, I, I use myself as an example. I mean, years ago, more than 10 years ago, about, about that, but more than 10 years ago, I made up my mind that this thing is stealing. I write software myself. I, I said to myself, how would you feel? Somebody just take your code and, and just... Many of you, you are working, you are laboring. How would you feel? Somebody just steal your work and go and make money with it. Or don't even make money, deprive you of, 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 of the gain. You will feel bad. You will feel bad. Somebody, you, somebody just enters your, your shop and packs your goods. I mean, that looks very gross. But that's what we do. So I said to my colleagues, we are not using pirated software again. So I made everybody install Linux, Ubuntu. Everybody was using Linux. It was a painful process because they hated Linux. But I forced them to use it. You cannot be praying to God on Sunday and be stealing other people's work on Monday. And like I said in the previous services, by the grace of God, today, there's no software that we need that we cannot buy. None. I thought you would praise God. Don't sit down there just looking at me as, oh yeah, it's very easy for me. And, and the truth is, if you, you need to choose your path. You can choose the path of ease that's not taking you anywhere. Or you can choose the path of God that may not become sometimes not become convenient. I won't lie that it is convenient. But at the end of the day, God will prosper you. Praise the name of the Lord. Don't steal. That's what God is saying to us, to you and I. God wants you to stop stealing. So you're going to let me look at your neighbor. And you're going to say, neighbor, are you stealing? <laughs> say to him, it's a joke now. It's a joke. Those, why, are you, why are you frowning like that? <laughs> but it's not a joke. Oh. Don't steal. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28 says, If you are a thief, do what? Quit stealing. Stop, stop it, stop it. Instead, use your hands for good work and give generously to those in need. So we see that the purpose for working is giving. The purpose for working is not so much so that we have abundance. Yes, you will have abundance, I pray in Jesus' name. But beyond abundance, what's the purpose of abundance? Is the purpose of abundance just to, be, uh, to have abundance, to oppress your cousin that you have been intimidated with for the past 20 years, by, for the past 20 years, or what? That can't be the purpose of abundance. The purpose of abundance is to give. So it is our contribution that is the purpose for our living. Our contribution is the purpose for our living. If you check the Bible, God doesn't have retirement age. Do you know that? God doesn't have retirement age. The day God feels that it's time for you to retire, what does he do? He takes you home. He takes you home. So as long as you are alive, there is something God wants you to contribute. There's something God wants you to contribute. So the question is, what am I contributing? What am I contributing in my life, in my relationship? What am I contributing? At work, what am I contributing? I'm attending a meeting. What am I contributing? Am I just sitting down there waiting? When is the meeting going to be over? over? What am I contributing? What's my contribution? It is in our contribution that we find fulfillment. In our marriages, in our homes, what am I contributing? I mean, I, I give you this assignment. Just take it away from here. F- find out from the closest people to you. Ask them, am I a giver or am I a taker? Ask them. Let them tell you. And don't be angry. Just take it as feedback. Ask your siblings. Ask, ask your, your spouse. Am I a giver or am I a taker? And like I said in the second service, don't ask them in church. Go home before you do it. Am I a giver or am I a taker? We are usually one or the other, as in predominantly one or the other. I want everybody in God's favorite house to be givers. Do I get an amen? amen? And you see, you have to be, don't say, oh, when I have a lot of money, I will give. Mm-mm. The person that will be generous with plenty will still be generous with a little. People that are stingy are not just stingy because they are wealthy. Have you noticed people can be poor and stingy? And have you noticed that people can be rich and and stingy? It has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with the state of your heart. So ask, am I generous? Am I stingy? And to fulfill the eighth commandment, you need to move from being a taker to being a giver. In the church, move from being a taker to being a giver. One thing about givers is that givers are never, can never be ignored. You know, the, the reason you feel lonely is simple, just very simple. You are too stingy. I'm sorry, they sound harsh. That's why you are lonely, you are very stingy. If you are generous, 
Generous people don't lack friends, you know. It's in the Bible. The generous have many friends. Many friends. The good ones that like you for who you are are the ones that like you for what you give. You have many friends. But if you find out that, listen, take it, you are serving in a department. If you don't come to church, what happens? Does anybody miss you? Look, I'm not throwing punches. If nobody misses you, you are not giving enough. When you are giving, I'm not saying people, they will call you, of course they call you because they are Christians. But I'm saying that they call you because they really miss you. It's because you're a giver. If you stop in your family, let's say you, God forbid, you, you are no more, will anybody miss you? Will anybody cry because of you? There's a lady in, in, in the Bible, I think it's Lydia. Is it Lydia? Lydia that made um, Dockers? Okay, Dockers. Yeah. Lydia was a businesswoman. Okay, Dockers. Now, when she passed on, what happened? The whole church, they held Peter. They said, this one must not die. What are they saying? If it were other people, let them die. But this one must not die. She gives so much. She takes care of us. She must not die. What happened? Peter had to cry to God. And God raised her from the dead. Some people, when they die, after all, I've heard people say, after all, I wasn't the one that prayed for her to die. In other words, but I'm so happy. She didn't say that though. I'm just completing it. I'm so happy that God has chosen in his infinite wisdom <laughs> to take her home. <laughs> so ask your neighbor again, are you a giver? Or are you a taker? Our next struggle, which is the ninth struggle, is our struggle with truth. Our struggle with truth. Verse 16 of Exodus 20. Exodus 20 verse 16 says to us, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. One of the deepest, deepest relationship struggle is forgiving someone who has lied to you. Have you noticed? One of the deepest struggle you will have in your relationships is forgiving someone that has lied to you. Because if somebody lies to you, it, it is deeply offensive for someone to lie to you. Or call you a liar. It's deeply offensive for someone to lie to you or call you a liar. As chaotic as the British Parliament can be. If you watch any of their sessions, you will notice that they are very vocal. They boo themselves, you know, and on and on. Sometimes I wonder, are these people, I mean, serious? But one thing they must not do, a British parliamentarian must never call the other one a liar. Never. When I read it, I was like, wow. Says, if they do, that's the end. They are ejected. From the house. Why? Because calling someone a liar is deeply, deeply offensive. 
And as a Christian, you shouldn't have that testimony when we ask someone that knows you, when we ask people that do life with you, how is this person? They should not describe you as a liar. When we ask your children, how is mommy or how is daddy? Your children should not say, ah, mommy is a good person, but she is a liar. When we ask, they should say, oh, daddy is good. He's good to us, but he's a liar. He's a perpetual liar. He's always lying to my mommy. The child has said that before. My daddy's always lying to my mommy. And he always makes my mommy cry. You think children are fools? They are not. They are watching. And they are telling your stories. Everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's, why? Why is it a big deal for you not to be branded that way, if you will? Why is it a big deal? Because it is the devil that is a liar. In fact, the Bible says in, in John 4, 44, that the native language of Satan is lies. Some people, their native language is Igbo. Some people, their native language is Ibibio, is, is Calabari, is Aosa, is Yoruba. The devil's native language is what? Lies. Is incapable of telling the truth. Lies. So again, if, if your spouse can't believe you, if your spouse thinks you're a liar, something is wrong with that. And I pray that we change today. In the name of Jesus, I need more amen. You know, I, I've thought about it. Why do pastors need more amen? You know why? Not because they want their prayers answered, because they don't want to be answered. They just want to be sure that you are awake. <laughs> You're not sleeping off on them. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> in Titus 1 2, I mean, the Word of God says in Titus 1 2 that God cannot lie, it is impossible for God to lie. And, and that is where our confidence lies. And when you look at the ninth commandment, you will see that God is strictly talking about perjury in the ninth commandment. And perjury is, the, is standing in a, court of, in, a, in, a, in a court of law and giving a false testimony. That is, that is the height of lying. That is, you are lying under oath. You, you've taken oath and you've, you've taken the stand and you are lying. That is the height. But you see, there is a spectrum, as we learned last week. Many of these things, there's a spectrum. It's not until you lie on that oath and commit perjury that, that lying becomes a big deal. Usually, lying starts, and it starts small. Lying starts with flattery. It graduates to exaggeration. Gossip is their big sister. You know, I was explaining that it's almost impossible to gossip without exaggerating. The gossips, they are master exaggerators. In fact, it's the exaggeration that makes it uh, sweet. So you have to exaggerate it. Did you hear? Hmm. In fact, the, the, the annoying thing that Christians do is that we need to pray when you hear that, I mean, like, we need to pray, oh, hmm. 
that man, the way he's just changing his cars, like he's changing shoes. Hmm. We need to pray. Oh. It's gossip. It's gossip. You should have nothing to do with it. Gossip house. We have nothing to do with gossip. Do I get an amen? amen. And I mean that amen. Then lies, outright lies. Before you, you get to your perjury, at least you are lying under oath. You know? And that's what Jesus was strictly talking about here. But the word of God, and Jesus referred to it later on. And the problem with lying is that when we say things that will achieve a desired result, we set ourselves up for lying. In other words, when you are having a conversation and you want to achieve a desired result, maybe your desired result, you want to look good. You set up yourself for lying. Or you want the person to like you. If you want somebody to like you, you set yourself up for, for flattery, which is a lie. Because you want them to like you. So when, when there's an agenda, it usually leads to lies. Someone says, someone defines flattery as saying, some, saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. I find that definition interesting. It says, flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. You know your friend doesn't look good in that dress. But because you want to flatter her, you say, oh, that dress looks so good on you. And in your heart, you're saying something else. It's a lie. When a mutual friend, you have to talk to a mutual friend, you, you will never say that, that dress looks, looks good. So, so, Pastor, what, what do you want me to say? You want me to say my, my friend is ugly? Nope. You could say something like, do you want to try another dress on? Let's see if that fits better. But don't flatter. Exaggeration, of course. Overstatement of facts. Then gossip. Casual, unrestrained conversation about people usually involve lies. And in, in God's favorite house, we, you know, we've said it. If you've attended the journey, we've said it in the journey repeatedly, we have zero tolerance for gossip. I'm not interested in gossip. I'm not interested. Oh, pastor, you know what is happening in this person's house? I don't want to know. He says, but we want to give you information. Keep it to yourself interested. And you shouldn't put your mouth in other people's business, really. You shouldn't. It's not your business. It isn't. And we, and we say again, I encourage you to do the journey. We say we have zero tolerance for gossip. We don't want gossip. We don't do it. This person has a problem. She's going through some, a lot of things. Yes, you show me your life that is perfect. Is, are you perfect? Is your life perfect? Are your children perfect? So why, why do we do that? There's a story of a man, um, an, el an older pastor and a younger pastor in a city. 
And the younger pastor just moved into the city. I don't know, maybe he had ulterior motives, I don't know. But he spread a lot of gossip about the older pastor that was pastoring this church. He's pastored the church for decades, you know. And the gossip was so bad that the pastor, older pastor, actually lost his church, actually lost his marriage, lost everything. Because you know the problem with gossip? Because the people you are talking to today, they say they are gossips. They don't bother finding out the truth. And time passed. The man grew very old and frail, living alone, lonely. Then the younger pastor obviously had matured, and they were in the same town anyway, so he felt really bad about what he has done. So he went to the old, older pastor and, and, and said to him that, oh, I've done wrong against you. Any way I can make things right, please forgive me. And the other pastor said to him, come. And he took him on a hilltop with a basket of feathers. And when he got to the hilltop, he let the feathers loose in the air because it was very windy. And the air, the wind carried the feathers everywhere, scattered the feathers everywhere. And the old pastor put his hands around the young pastor and said, I have forgiven you even before you came to ask for forgiveness. And he said, you want to help me? You want to see what you can do? If you can pick all the feathers that have been scattered by the wind that are taking them kilometers away and gather everything into this basket, then you will be able to help me. Obviously, the young man couldn't and, and he was crying at the time. And, and the old man says, you can't help me but I've forgiven you. And so, the, obviously, the, the young man is going to live with that pain for the rest of his life, you know. But when he was carrying the gossip, it was what? Sweet. It was very sweet. When you are destroying somebody else, it sounds very sweet. And many of those things are irreversible. I believe, strongly believe, that most people that are going about gossiping. They really don't, it's not that they are evil, they're just idle. And ignorant. Some are evil though. <laughs> but most are not. You have to make sure gossip has no place in your life. Do I get an amen? No place in your life. The reason we lie is because we are more committed to ourselves than we are to the truth. We are more committed to ourselves than we like to, are to the truth. So you, you are on a spot and you need to either lie to protect yourself or say the truth. And you may not look bad. Many of us will lie. You know why we lie? We want to protect ourselves and look good. But when we do that, we've sacrificed the truth. And the challenge is, the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. 
So every time you have the opportunity to lie, you are confronted with this question, me or, or Jesus? Is it going to be me or am I going to sacrifice Jesus? I mean, that's what it is. It is just what it is. You know, you're saying, but pastor, ah, this is interesting. We need God, though. Someone says, nobody can do this thing except God. That is the point exactly. We do need God. And truth is not relative. I mean, you must have heard before that truth is relative. It depends on where you're looking at it from. Truth, truth is absolute. In fact, truth is so absolute, truth is a person. His name is who? It's Jesus. Truth is a, it's absolute. It's, it's not relative. It says, but if you look at the cup, it may be half empty or half full. It depends on how you look at it. You know, they call some white lies. It says some is a professional lie. Just have to lie to get by, you know. It's not a big deal, Pastor. Just lie to get by. God is saying to you, and saying to me, stop lying. Stop lying. Stop what? Stop lying. And in this world, we have to wrestle with different things. Many of us have been offended by our friends, maybe by, by our employer or maybe an employee. We want justice. Sometimes it's our spouses or our former spouses. We want justice. Sometimes it's a divorce issue. We want justice. But the truth is this. We need to recognize that there's a difference between justice system and the moral system and the legal system. Different. The only place that operates a justice system is the kingdom of heaven. It is, listen, it is with it is with God and God alone you can get justice. Real justice. Why? Because God's justice is based on the truth. And the only person that knows the truth really is God. The legal system is, can never be, it's not, it's not a justice system. It tries to imitate a justice system, but it's not a justice system. It is based on, 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 on laws that are interpreted by men based on the stronger argument and based on prevailing examples that has happened in the past and based on final authority, the judge's subjective view or a jury if the system is operated by a jury. So, it is not, there are a lot of people that have been incarcerated that did not commit the offense. Do you know that? The legal system put them behind bars. But is that justice? Not a justice system. But God has left us with a moral system, which is we have our hearts, which is where we have the Ten Commandments. We have our hearts, our conscience, a moral system that says, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Do this, do that. And there's a clip I want to show us. I mean, that watching that clip just, you know, shows the three systems at play in Tosu. 
you know? Let's, let's have the clip. Snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel, Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut case. these guys loose! Your Honor, you Talk have markers inside a phony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor. Consider Not yourself in contempt. Colonel Jessup! Did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled you to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did! All right. Now, um, it's, a, it's a constant tussle. One of them is playing on the legal system. The other one is saying, look, I have a moral duty. I have to, if you hold this gun, you will know what I'm talking about. I know what you don't know. If you know what I know, da 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 Now, it's a constant battle. And many of us, sometimes, we think it's just enough to say what is true. But you see, what is true is not always the truth. Something can be true and not be the truth. So the fact that you've said something that is true doesn't mean you have spoken the truth. An example, of course I'll give you an example. Teachers always give examples, don't they? Don't we? <laughs> example is, let's use the same work example. You get, maybe you get, it's not, it's not your nature, you always diligent, always at work early, you know, staying back late, going the extra mile, and all that. But this day, you were just really tired. You know, it happens to everybody. You know, and you woke up later than usual. Then you get into your car, and you're driving to work, and you met this horrible traffic. Then you get to work eventually. And guess who's standing on your desk? Your boss. And he says, you are late. And you say, oh, the traffic was bad. Did you hear the traffic report? Now the question is, 
The traffic was bad. True or false? True. But is that the truth? Was that why you were late? No. So because we say what is true, we mask the truth. And the danger is that when we mask the truth for long enough, we begin to believe a lie. And when we begin to believe lies, we are entering a zone called the zone of delusion. You don't even want to go there. You know, some people have told a lie for so long that for themselves, when they are talking, they don't even know they are lying. They need to check. Is what I'm saying, is it true? They are friends, the people they do life with, when they tell them good morning, they need to check. So the biggest problem with the lie is that it keeps us from the truth. The lie keeps us from the truth. It blinds us from the truth. There was a, a lady, true life story, a woman that was deluded. She came to her pastor, not to me. And she said to her pastor that her husband is the Antichrist. She has found the Antichrist. Is that, <laughs> I kid you not. And the pastor was like, how do you know? He says that if I look at his head, forehead, I see six, six, six. He says, when I dream, sometimes in my dream, I see him on his head, six, six, six. The pastor says, in your dream, he says, yes. Even in real life, he says, yes. So, he bought a husband. The pastor says, oh God, this check, oh, he says, six, six, six. <laughs> The pastor says, he can't see anything, six, six. The woman says, it is there. I pray that God will open your eyes. There was nothing they could do. She was deluded. Such people start by believing little lies. And little lies. And eventually, there's a spirit of delusion. It comes in. And when it comes in, it takes over. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Everyone that is struggling with the spirit of delusion will rebuke the spirit now in the name of Jesus. Everyone that the spirit of delusion is trying to attach itself to will decree the spirit to fail in the name of Jesus. So shall it be. It's a horrible place to be. Delusion blinds people. It makes people see friends as enemies. It makes people see enemies as friends. Terrible place to be. Jesus was saying in John 8, 43, Jesus was saying that if I am speaking and you don't understand what I am saying, it is because you can't hear me. You are hearing my words, but you cannot hear me. There are two different things. You can hear somebody's words and you cannot hear them. I mean, if you don't know, just go and get married. Every married person knows what I'm talking about. You go through a period where your spouse can hear your words, but they can't hear you. It happens to everybody. Don't worry. You're okay. You don't have a problem. You now know. Okay, fine. Praise God for that. It's not not peculiar to any single marriage. But you have to overcome it. You need to know that is what is happening. Or, Or your spouse is speaking. You are hearing their words, but you can't hear them. 
You need to overcome it. So when we don't understand Jesus, the problem is not with the truth. The problem is with our hearing. When people are not saved, the problem is not with the gospel. The problem is they are blind. They cannot see. The reason we pray over these bookmarks over and over is because if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the gods of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not. Let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, just shine into this heart. So if people don't come to Jesus, if you have a loved one that is not following Christ, don't be angry with them. Don't, don't, don't be impatient with them. You should pray for them so that they can see what you can see. You see, unfortunately, sometimes when God wants to open people's eyes to see, it takes them through tribulations and trials. Sometimes. So many times, we don't really want to praise because we don't want the trouble to come on them because we love them. But you see, you have to praise and let God do what only him can do. If we look at our lives, we'll see that God wants us to speak the truth. And when it comes to the truth, we have two types of people, largely, broadly. You have the truth, two types of truth abusers. You have the naive and you have the brutal truth abusers. The naive. Their story is that they say things like, I need to say how I feel, everything. Because I want to tell you the, the truth. This is how I feel. You know, we are Christians. We are supposed to say the truth. So, they are naive. They say everything. No, 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 no. Sometimes, I mean, you don't have to say everything. I mean, true life story. A lady, two ladies, prayer partners, they were praying together. And they've been praying together for a while. And one of them says, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, and I feel that I am, I am, I am not truthful. I need to tell you the truth. And ladies, it's like, okay, what, what, what's the truth? I need, I need to be vulnerable to you. I need to open my heart to you. Okay, tell me, what, what's, what's the issue? She says, oh, I'm in love with your husband. Says, says you're in love with my husband? Says, yes. And, and honestly, I don't feel you are treating him well. Not th- that is the... The truth. Of course, we know how that relationship will end. It, unfortunately, it affected the marriage. I mean, unfortunately. But that's naivety. You may have an ugly truth. That is an ugly truth. The only place you need to go with your ugly truth is at the cross of Jesus and nail it to the cross. You have an ugly truth? Don't tell your friend. Tell Jesus to help you. You have an ugly truth. If you tell your friend, you're going to make a mess. You've told it to Jesus. You need counsel. Talk to any of the pastors. They will, they will 
counsel you. They will pray with you. I have an ugly truth. That's the naive. The brutal is, is those that, they, they say something like this. I need to tell you as it is. Have you heard that before? Brutal. <laughs> I tell the truth as it is. They are brutal. Ephesians 4.15 says we should speak the truth in love. So the motive of speaking the truth should be the interest of the other person. I say to you that a lot of us, some people are tilted more to the naive. Some people are tilted more to the brutal. I know I'm treated a little bit to the brutal. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So what I do that has helped me over the years is I check what is the motive? Do I want to help this person? Is it going to help this person if they take it on board? If the answer is yes, I tell it. I don't have a problem with it. If the answer is no, I leave them. Why? Because there's a time to confront and there's a time to conceal. There's a time to confront and there's a time to conceal. It's not everything you say you know. Oh, it's everything you know you say. <laughs> Hopefully everything you say you know. It's everything you say. No, you say. I know, people have come to me and say, oh, just give it to me. Tell me as it is. I am ready. I want you to tell me the truth. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. They may be sincere. I'm not saying they are not sincere, but they may not be ready. The fact that someone is sincere doesn't mean the person is ready. You are still responsible to be sure that they are ready for what you have to say. Otherwise, keep quiet. Do I get an amen? <laughs> Otherwise, keep quiet. And when we expect so much from people, I mean, I, years ago, I mean, the Lord was saying to me, I, I was trying to get someone to see something and see it and see it and see it and see it. I'll go home, I will pray for the person, oh God, open their eyes, let them see it, let them see it, let them see it. You know what God said to me? Why are you trying to teach this person in 10 days? What I taught you in 10 years. I just, I just backed up. Now many times, God has taken us through a process. We've learned something through over the years. Now we want to, want to, sup, want to chuck it down people's throats. In a one hour sermon. No. You have to break it down. And help people grow. Praise the name of the Lord. And when we look at our nature... We are children of God. We are not children of the devil. So we are children of light, children of the truth. We are not children of darkness. We are not children of lies. We are not children of the liar. Peter was trying to explain this to us in 1 Peter 1, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. He says that for you have been born again. Not of a perishable, of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So the word of God, the truth, is in our DNA. That's what the scripture is saying. We are children of God. 
The truth of God is in our DNA. It is the seed of God in us. An illustration is when, when maybe your husband and wife, they meet and, and the wife conceives. And she conceives in an instant. The following morning, she goes about her business as if nothing has happened. She goes to work. She continues with life. Day one, day two, nothing has happened. Day three, day four, she continues as if nothing has happened. But the seed is there. Sometimes you have the seed of God and you are still behaving as if nothing has happened. But the seed is there. And the more it grows, week three, week four, week five, what happens? She begins to feel funny. Something is happening to me. Something is happening to me. Then her stomach begins to rise and rise. And there's conflict going on. The same thing. If you have the seed of God in you, you cannot continue to lie. The seed will make it uncomfortable. Praise the name of the Lord. It will grow and grow and grow. So when you tell a lie, what happens? You struggle, you struggle, you struggle. But when you find out that you are just lying, like you are drinking it like pure water. Check the seed. It's a seed issue. It's a problem. Yes, not every seed leads to a new life. But guess what? No new life can happen without a seed. It's not every time you, you, we, we preach the word that people's life gets changed. Yes, we know. But when people come to Christ, when they become a child of God, it is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible without the seed of God being in them. So as soon as you get saved, the seed of God is in, is in you. Is in you. So you are wired that way. That's how you are wired. You are wired as a child of God. You are wired as a child of God. We are not wired liars trying to tell the truth. You know, that's why a lot of people see themselves that they are wired liars. We are not wired liars trying to tell you. We are wired in truth, struggling with lies. It's a huge difference. And you have to see yourself that way. This is who I am. I am a child of God. I am wired in truth. God is in my DNA. Truth is in my DNA. Life is in my DNA. I might have struggled with lies. But I am born of God. And I will overcome lies. Praise the name of the Lord. That is how we should see ourselves. In John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus says to them, to the people that believed in him, says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, if you obey my words, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Can we see the progression? He's saying you will believe then you will obey. Then you will know. Then you will be free. So, there's the believing. Then there's the obeying. 
Then there's the knowing. Then there's the releasing. Jesus is not saying, I mean, the logical thing will be, you will know, you will obey, then you will believe because what you have obeyed, seeing is believing, then you will be released. Jesus says, no, you start by what? Believing. Then you will obey. A lady tells a story that brings this home powerfully. She says, she used to be a believer. Then she had to forgive somebody. Then because she had to forgive somebody, she didn't want to forgive the person. But because she, she knew she had to forgive the person, she really struggled. She asked for help. God helped her. She says, when she finally decided to forgive the person, she says, when she forgave the person, then she really knew, as in real knowledge, after obedience, that scripture came alive to her. Then guess what? She became free. And that is the truth setting you free. So what am I saying? Your life will never change if all you do is believe. It will never change. You come to church, but the following day, you don't obey God. You don't, you don't practice what you have heard. You would know, and there will not be a, a release. There's a story in Matthew 7, 24 to 29. It's a story, Jesus is telling the story, of two men that built their houses. One built their house on the rock, and one built his house on sand. You know the story. And Jesus says that these houses look alike. They are two houses, perhaps the same colors, the same roof, the same painting, the same doors. Everything was the same. These two men attending the same church, listening to the same sermon. Both of them married beautiful wives. Both of them are successful. That's what Jesus was saying. But both of them also had storms. And the house that was built on sand did what? Crumbled. And the house that was built on the rock was standing. Two people can look alike. The differentiation comes when the storm arises. The storm is the differentiator in life. It is not wealth. Listen, it is not prosperity. It is the storm that shows you who you are. And when the storm comes, the difference between the two people was that one obeyed God, the other did not obey God. I mean, that was what Jesus said. That, that's, that's what he said. That's the difference between two people. So any foundation not built on obedience will crumble. Will crumble. Will crumble. You have to obey God. And Jesus is saying, believing is useless if it doesn't lead to obedience. So the question to you and I today is that, which of these two men are you? Don't wait until the storm comes. You already know which one you are. It is best to sort out a problem before the storm. True or false? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, which kind are you? The man that built his house on the storm, on the, on the rock, or the one that built his house on the sand? Many of us, we are, you know, maybe, even if you are saying, you know, Pastor, I am 20 years married. 
My house, the relationship is built on sand already. It is never too late to build it on the rock. You're saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm 10 years or I'm one year in marriage. Or you're saying, oh, I'm just about to get married. Bravo. It's never too late. But guess what? Don't take it for granted. Any house that is built on the sand will, will what? Will crumble. I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that your house will not crumble. Your life will not crumble. When the storms of life come upon you, you will stand strong in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. And let us talk to God. Think about what you have heard and talk to God. I want to pray for you today if you are saying, Pastor, I need the seed of God on my inside. I need the seed of God on my inside. I need the seed of God. I need that seed to thrive. I need it on my inside. I used to say, Pastor, you're saying, Pastor, I used to be born again, but I'm backsliding. Can you pray with me? Yes. Again, any of those two categories, I want to pray with you. I don't need you to come forward. Wherever you're seated, you don't need to come forward. That is me. Put up your hand now, over your head, quickly, and I'll pray with you. If you're putting up your hand, put up your hand well. God bless you. That is me. Put it up over your head. God bless you. That is me over there at the back. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Keep the hands up, my sister. God bless you, my brother. At, the, at that corner, God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my sister. That is me. That is me. I want to accept Christ. I want the seed of God to be implanted in my heart. God bless you right there. Keep the hands up. Once you have the card, you can put on that hand and talk to God. That is me. Pastor, pray with me. Pray with me. I want to pray with you wherever you are seated. Father in heaven, we pray for everyone. That is already to you today, we ask that you accept them, oh my Father. That incorruptible seed of your word, let it be lodged in their hearts. And let your name be glorified. Honor and glory be given to you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we are praying. Let's, let's keep focused on God. I want to pray with you. If you are here, you are saying, Pastor, I have the seed of God, but I need the water of God on this seed so that I can thrive. I am struggling with basic things of this work. I want to pray with you. You don't need to come forward also. We are not going to give you a card. But as a sign of surrender, I want you to lift up your two hands to God and say, Lord, pour your water on me. That this seed will try. God bless you. God bless you. It's pour your water on me. That this seed will thrive. Oh, my Father, we pray for everyone whose hands are lifted up to you, Lord. We ask that you pour your water upon this seed, O oh God. Let these seeds, let them thrive, my Father. Take over this life tr truly and totally and let your name be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Let's pray together for the Lord. 
for his kindness and his mercy.